0: Thank you, Judson, and uh, this this will present a lot of opportunities for us and the uh, community, and I can go on and on, but I, I'll wait and give you um, my verdict until you all see it, because we definitely want to hear uh, from you guys. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can grab it and turn to Colossians. Uh, as we started last week, um, we see that uh, Paul is, this is one of his prison epistles in, in Paul met the church planner uh, of this church, and man, he's just commending them for so many incredible things they got going on. And um, but there's some there's some heresies lurking around the corner uh, that that are a result of Greek philosophies or a result of uh, Jewish traditions, um, and that Paul wants to spend some time uh, addressing this morning. And really, it's an attack on uh, the deity and the supremacy. Of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is about to give us this beautiful theological construct of who Jesus is. In uh, so much not that we just view it through the lens of theology, but also Paul probably most likely wrote this as to be recited as a part of church liturgy in the early church. So think about that for just a second before we read this, that what we are about to read, Paul most likely wrote it in, in a very poetic fashion. Um, so that the church could constantly remind themselves of who Jesus is. So with that lens, um, let's read this. Colossians 1. We're going to pick it up in 15, and we're going to go just a few verses. He, Jesus, let me stop right there because if you remember, uh, last, I'm not going to do this throughout this whole passage. But if you remember um, who they're talking about, he delivered you. He called you. He qualified you. By the blood of Jesus, he has redeemed you. So who are they talking about here? Thank you, John. I got one person up in here. If you're watching online, there is more than one person, John, and there's more than Willie in here uh, this morning. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We've already prayed several times, but I'd like to pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word is truth and in it we find life. I pray that you sanctify us with your word. And God, so many of us who are here this morning or perhaps are watching online or just looking for some divine knowledge or revelation, or just looking for you to speak to them. Thank God you just did it's through your eternal word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is, if, if this sounds familiar to the Gospel of John, it is very familiar to the Gospel of John, which is, Probably why I wanted to do this right after doing the Gospel of John, because this is very, this is just kind of springboarding off of that Gospel. If I had one goal as a pastor, whether I was in China or Russia or California, New York, or here in the South, if I had one goal as a pastor, it would be the same goal, and that was so that we all know Jesus. So I I alluded to this just a, a moment ago. If you'll think about this, when Paul wrote this, he's writing this not just so that we understand this vast, deep theological meaning of who Jesus is, but he's writing this so that the church could possibly recite this together. Think about that for just a second. What did we just read about? We just read about Jesus. How important that is for us to always be reminded of who Jesus is. Amen. He's not writing to tell you to, man, read about yourself and see how wonderful and awesome you are. Let's read more and how how we can become better people. No, he's writing this most likely so that the church will recite who beautiful how beautiful and supreme and sufficient and sovereign Jesus is. Amen. And he's pointing you back to Jesus is the all-sovereign one, you're not. Jesus is supreme over all things. You can't even find your remote or car keys. Jesus is sufficient over all things. You are non-sufficient, if that's a word. You are insufficient. And he's wanting you to have this broad, beautiful, correct view because in this time, there's Gnosticistic views going on of who Jesus is. Well, here's one of them. Jesus was just some angel. Jehovah's Witness thought they made that up, but that was going on in their day. Jesus was just some angel because in their view, in this Greek philosophy, there's no way Jesus, God, could have been in flesh. They had this torn up view of Jesus that was mixed with mysticism, that was mixed with all of these worldviews. And so here Paul is addressing it. He's like, to the church of Colossae, if you don't get this right then everything else you get is wrong. You have to have a right view of Jesus, that Jesus is all-sufficient, that he is the deity, that he is God. And so Paul wants this church to have this in their view at all times. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I'm going to go through some of this. Uh, and and we'll, we'll pick apart all of this Because some of this can be confusing If you're not familiar with your Bible And then at the end I'll, I'll just ask a few questions He says this at the beginning He, being Jesus Is the image Of the invisible God How can something invisible Have an image? Does that not sound confusing to anyone? When I read this it's like he is the image of the invisible God So like he's invisible He's like the invisible man like creeping up on you? Like what's the deal with this? In Greek philosophy, when they would use this, so Paul is using their language and he's using really a word of play here that in Greek philosophy, the image is said to be the reality. Okay. So, so what Paul is saying is that he's using this Greek philosophy language and turning it against them. And he's saying, listen, Jesus is the image. He is the reality of God. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. Amen. You want to know what God looks like Then you look at Jesus. Who is God? The question is, then who is Jesus? Jesus is all merciful. He is all sovereign over all things. And we just, man, we picked that apart in the gospel of John. How Jesus was in complete control over every situation, even his own death. Even his own resurrection that he says in John 2 that in three days his temple will be torn down and then I'll raise it back up myself. So we see this sovereign view of if you want to know who God is, then you get Him—the image and the reality of Jesus. Who is God? It's a plaguing question that is asked, and then who is Jesus? In years ago, you could flip on, especially around like Easter time, you could flip on the TV around like uh, the History Channel or Discovery, and you'd see these documentaries of Jesus, and they would give you some weird view. Like just kind of a conglomerate view of, well, he was this, he was that. Don't think he was God. But now I probably, if you ask culture who Jesus is, then you get this, who? Jesus? Talking about Jesus? Like, so you don't get, like this reality, it's more politically correct today to say that Jesus doesn't even exist. So it's, it's interesting how things have changed, but they really haven't. Paul is having to remind the church, you got to get Jesus. You got to get Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later and nothing's really changed. Jesus is the image. of God, he is the reality of God. He's all sovereign. If you look at the life of Jesus, you see who God is. He's all merciful. He's He's full of grace, full of love, full of truth. You saw this in, at, with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus goes to her. You remember this story, right? I hope. If not, we'll go back through the gospel of John. All right? Because I ain't got nothing but time. All right? I'm still young. You, you can go through, back through the gospel of John. You see this in John chapter 4. He goes to the woman of well. I mean, just calls her out on her issues. But then presents to her a reality of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. She catches on to his grace, runs back to her village, and is a catalyst of revival to the Samaritans. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. He is the reality, the image of God. He's also one of those guys, Jesus is, is just kind of straight to the point. I thought about doing a series called Woe to You. I thought it was good. Nobody else does. And you know, like in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is like, woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. And he's like this chant that Jesus does. And like, it ain't like, no, woe to you. It's like this, woe to you. I'm about to slap you in the face with truth. You scribes and Pharisees. Oh, look at you. You tithe. Good on you. Well, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You snake. That'd be an incredible... Sermon series that nobody would come to. <laughs> I think I'll do it next. So Jesus isn't just this, like, like, like we could just paint a reality. Oh, Jesus, just this all gracious, all loving God. Yes, but He's also direct and in your face, and will call you out on your junk. Okay. Do you know? Do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Amen. Then He says He's the firstborn of all creation. Now this is very confusing. In fact. Out of this one verse, if you just cherry pick this out, this is where a lot of cults had said, "See, he's not God. He was he was created." But then they don't know context. Firstborn usually does associate itself with firstborn. Jude was mine and Miranda's firstborn, and it even says in I believe it's in Luke two verse seven. That Jesus is the firstborn son of Mary. But in this context, Paul's usage has a quite different sense to it. While it implies priority in time, it does not mean that Jesus was created being. That Godfather, Godmother had this um, this thing going on. There's kids in here. And, and then, boom, Jesus created. That's not what's, what's happening here in this text here. In the Old Testament, this title, it is a title which expresses a status in Psalm 89, verse 27. And I just need to side note that I'm cracked out on, on coffee right now. So I'm like real jittery. And If I start yelling and running, it's okay. You don't need to call the, the security people. As a title, Psalm eighty-nine, twenty-seven says this. It's the title of sovereignty. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the king's. Of the earth. God also bestows this title to his elect, the children of Israel, that they are my firstborn. So, wait a minute, they're firstborn, but you got all these children of Israel? All of them are firstborn? No, it's this, this title, it's a metaphor that distinguishes Jesus Christ from all created things, and he outranks all of them. Look at the next part here. By him, through him, and for him. Amen. All things were created so you get this thing here where God wasn't just cre- and and the active agent of creation God father but also Jesus Christ was this active agent in all of creation that he was there the whole time in all the things in heaven and earth Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, the scripture says, were created by him. He creates them. He sustains them. And hear me now. He crushes anything that opposes this reality as the all creator. Also, look what the text says. He says that he's not only that, but he is also the head of the church. So now watch this move here. You get this macro, beautiful, cosmic view of Jesus' supremacy and sufficiency of all creation, of all the universe, and now suddenly Paul is going to redirect you that not only is he intricately involved with all of creation, all of the cosmos, now he's involved with you. He is the head of the church. He's not just head of all created things. He's also the head of you and I. He's also supreme over the affairs of the earth and of his church. Jesus is the head of the capital C church. And on a micro level, he's head over the local church. And on a micro, micro level, if there is such a thing, I don't know what's smaller than micro, but the smaller thing, the the micro thing, he's over you and I. I I need y'all to hear that uh, one more time so that you can catch that. If he is supreme and heavily, heavily involved in the things of the universe, my friends, did you catch this? He's also involved in the fine details of your life. He is the head of the church. I love that the text did not say, and Matthew is the head of the church. Because that head would look pretty strange. Come out with eyes here and there. Just maybe one patch of hair here. It would look really weird. If you have just one patch of hair here, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying it's just odd. Oh, shave that mess. Not the elders are not the head of the church. Not a building. Not a man, Jesus, is the head of the church. So watch how Paul has put the focus of the church. Not on the church, but the focus of the church is on Jesus. If the focus of the church ever becomes you and me and meeting my needs, then we've lost the true focus of the church. Now hear me now. I did not just say that we are not supposed to meet our needs. I have plenty of scripture to back that. But that is not primary. The church is about Jesus Christ. It is not about you. I know you've heard that throughout the years. You've heard other preachers say that. But it's just good to be reminded of that sometimes. Baby, it ain't about you, honey. I know, Willie, it's so shocking to hear. Life is not about you. You are not at the center of the cosmos. Things are not revolving around you as you think and act they are. If you think and act they are, how disappointing will your life be? If you think that life is all about you, then let's... How's your marriage going? Huh? How's that working out for you? How's, how's that job going out for you if you think everything is about you? How's it going for you as a parent? The devil is a lie. I should have had an amen right there from my, my parents. Amen? It's disappointing if life is about you. So I love that Paul does not even mention you at all when he's talking about The sufficiency and supremacy and sovereignty of Jesus, because it does not include you at all. It's about Jesus and him alone. The church is about Jesus. So, man, I'm telling you what, y'all. I grew up charismatic. This makes me want to do a praise break. I know some of you didn't grow up and you're like, what is that? I'll, I'll show you later. It just makes me want to erupt inside because that means it's not about me and I'm not over all of this. If it fails, I'm just like, look at Jesus. Look how good he is. It just removes a weight on me. It removes a weight on our elders because it's not about any of us. This is his church, and he'll do whatever he pleases. Amen, amen. Then you check this out, y'all. Then he says, he's firstborn from the dead. Now, this is just a reference of Jesus conquering, not only is He sufficient and all-powerful over the church and over all things, He's even over. He, he's got the power over death also. John fourteen nineteen, and He says this because this is this is key for us. Because I live, you will also live. So now, the firstborn from the dead, He gives us that same source of life. Is preeminent. Preeminent is just that he is rank, not stank, like man, you rank, but it's like a rank. <laughs> y'all y- I hope y'all are tracking with that. Of first place. Preeminence in that he surpasses all things. Okay. That's what the actual definition of preeminence is. Our lives are often chaotic. I've said before the world chaotic but just because things in your life may not be kind of going the way you think they should be going maybe because your personal life is up in flames doesn't mean Jesus takes the back seat of your life Jesus always has to be preeminent in all things. Here, here's what a growing, not a growing fear, but fear I've always had, even and I'm gonna speak just personally for my own self. That Jesus isn't preeminent in my life. And and here's how I know this sometimes, because the main time I run to Jesus is when like things aren't going well. Yeah. Is he preeminent in the in the times that are going well in your life? Is he preeminent over all things in your life? Is he preeminent? Is it first things, right? This is what we're talking about. Is he the is he the center of your life? Is he preeminent of your life? I'll get more into that. I want to catch this last part right here, and the full. And this is so beautiful. Like Paul, I don't know if you'll call this. Like Paul's like. More of a prophetic in his way of writing. You you know what I mean by that? He he gonna greet and then he gonna take you straight to scripture. Like let me, now let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Hey, how you doing? How's your mom and them? Y'all better get your crap together right now. That's that's Paul in in his flow and and like if you if you back off and you're like, man, hey, Paul's just a jerk sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, can we not get somebody in here in the scripture give him a hug? But y'all. Like, this right here for me, and this is how I view this. Paul's got a soft side. This is more poetic in nature. Paul's just showing y'all, like, he's just channeling in his inner psalmist, okay? <laughs> With this, and this is beautiful. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And I love this last part, y'all, because this is is the gospel in view here, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And he has made peace for us, reconciling us back to him. When, When we see Jesus for all that he is will be made fully realized through the adoption. Uh, this 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 word peace. I, I love that he's he's using this this right here. Peace can it often be made through a couple of ways. One is pacifist ways, um, where you're just like I'm just gonna love everybody and not fight or anything. In fact, this. For them, this is what they were under. This is called, I don't know if you've ever heard. Uh, I think it's called Pax Romana, Roman peace. You ever heard of that phrase? Like think back to your high school days when they were teaching you history. If you were like me, you had to research this in your adult life because you didn't listen in high school. <laughs> I almost failed high school. Um, it, so so you think about like Pax Romana, like this was peace. Now this is interesting. Peace. The Romans weren't about like like this all just love. I mean, they weren't hippie peace. Okay, This was, do it our way and you'll have peace. If you don't do it our way, we'll crucify you. Does that sound peaceful to anyone? Huh? No? Okay, me neither. So so what is this peace he's talking about? Peace made through reconciliation. Because when you're reconciled with someone then you enter into relationship with that person. Blood, cross, suffering, violence. Here's how Christ gave you peace. Through suffering and violence. Suffering and violence that you would not have to partake in i.e. the wrath of God that Isaiah would say it pleased the Father to bruise Him. So Jesus would absorb this suffering and this wrath of God so that why? You want to take a jab at it? So that we could walk in peace with Him. Amen. So that we would no longer be viewed as enemies of God. Amen. But know that now through the cross and resurrection we are viewed as his righteous, viewed as the adopted sons. churchy cuz i got a handheld microphone. <laughs> Let me just ask a few questions um, and I'll, I'll be out of y'all's way. Good. Christ supreme sufficient Hear me. It, this is one of the three points. I'm going to make, I'm not going to be poetic like Paul, but Christ and his sufficiency and his supremacy. Here's what I would say, and this is just Matthew speaking, is manifested more visibly and more tangibly through the church. Let me say that one more time. The supremacy, the sufficiency, the life of Jesus is made more clearly invisible through the church. So let's back up and ask a question. Is it really? Let me, let me ask you like this. Are we reflecting the life of Jesus right now? Are we reflecting that light? Okay, let me go back to Gospel John. Full of grace, truth, mercy, love, compassion, are we reflecting that as a church? Y'all know that our world could use a little bit more of that. It's like I thought of the analogy, and this may crash and burn, as many of my analogies do. I thought about, like, am I, sometimes I can go into, like, this deep, dark universe of conspiracies in my head. Y'all don't judge me, but just I watch too much YouTube sometimes. Imagine if there is a vaccine for the Rona and, um, and, and only, only like a certain few get it, like only like the, the Illuminati get it. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how deep and dark my, my brain goes. I don't believe in that. But, anyway, but just imagine like there's only like we have 7 billion vaccines, but we're only going to give like 15. You know the outcry? You you know the outcry? Now some of y'all like y'all are like really conspiracy. He's like, I ain't taking no vaccine. You can put the Margaret and beast to me. That's what they're gonna try to do. Like, I know some of y'all, okay? <laughs> because sometimes I drift that anyway, I'm I'm like ranting. But like just imagine the outcry. Imagine like how people would be. Sometimes I wonder, like, and I know the answer, the world. There should be an outcry in the world today because they don't know the church has the answer. But if they knew the church had the answer, they would be giving us a similar outcry. It's like some of us are sitting on our butts, and in between our butts and cushion is called comfort and convenience. And it's like I've got the vaccine tucked right here. And I don't want to share it with none of y'all because it's just a little bit inconvenient for me to do that. So when I ask the question, are we visibly reflecting the life of Christ? That's what I'm asking. Not are we trying to be good, moralistic people. That's not what I'm asking. I am mean, are, are we as a church reflecting in, when in the reality that the church is falling apart and that you don't believe in depravity, you should turn on the news or have kids. Either one or is the same thing. <laughs> I don't think the world—and this may be a side note, and quite possibly a rant—the world probably doesn't need us just starting to fact being fact police on everything. Maybe we should just be the truth police, I guess, <laughs> with the gospel of Jesus. It, secondly, another question, as I read through this, was where are you placing your hope? If the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, you, you will not need to try to find fullness anywhere else. So, so where are you placing your hope at? If you try to place, if you try to find all your just your fullness and relationships and 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 in prosperity and materialistic things, let's see how well those things turn out for you. And then the, the last thing is that I've got to get back to is this whole idea of him being preeminent in our life. It's not Jesus plus things, which is what the heresy of the Jews tried to present to the church. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus first that's what it is and so I, I just I, I want to just ask that question also for us is, is he preeminent is he first is he center yeah. Yeah. in all things if Christ is sufficient as the word tells us and if he is above all things man this is very helpful for me he can sustain me If he could sustain the creation, if he could sustain the world, he could be so involved in me that he would sustain my life also. Is he preeminent in our church and in your life? Now, God, we just ask that.